Hello and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is our 12th episode. Um, today we're going to be discussing happy endings versus sad endings. And then we're going to discuss two books by one of our favourite authors, Elizabeth von Armin, um, The Enchanted April and Elizabeth and Her German Garden. So, Simon, how are you? Well, Rachel, I'm not very well. I've got a cold, <laughs> and I'm gonna. And I really am embracing man flu as a as a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of wander around the house limply and mournfully, <laughs> um, stooping over. And if people ask me how I'm going, oh, mustn't grumble. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just sort of wave a handkerchief or something. Yeah. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm definitely feeling better than I was a couple of days ago, but um, as I complained on my blog about this, I find it so hard to read if I have a cold. My eyes are like the first things that give up. So I just, mm. I spend all this time just lying around thinking, I could be reading now, but instead I'm just, I'm well, I'm mostly hatched, caught up with uh, Neighbours. I watched a lot of Neighbours this week. <laughs> Simon. Yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay, I'm getting over a cold as well. Um, but looking forward to half term. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. Are you reading anything good at the moment? Well, I'm still ploughing my way through in cold blood. But it's um, it's getting better. It's a bit of a slow burner at the beginning. And I think because it's, it's not the sort of book where you're like, yes, I can't wait to read the next chapter. <laughs> because it's so depressing, you know. And it's like, oh, I just keep thinking about these poor people. But it's really well written. It's very interesting in insight into Truman Capote himself. Yes, I think that's very fair to say. That's yeah. an interesting man. <laughs> very interesting man. But it's been causing much hilarity at school because um, I've been reading it at school, not during lessons. I have a lesson with my class where we just read silently and to set a good example, I obviously read too. And <laughs> unfortunately, the word for a condom in French is capote, which is spelt the same as capote. Ah. So um, the children have found this hilarious every time I've got my book out. And um, rightly so. <laughs> yes. So it's, um, yeah. And they're like, what is it about? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm reading about the mass murder of four people. In <laughs> um, so they all think I'm a complete nutter, but there you are. <laughs> well, it's a good, you know, rod of discipline you can you yeah. can use with it. Um, what about when, you? When I am reading, I was try- I did actually start the Tales of Trebizond by Rose Macaulay, as promised in a previous podcast. Um, but I think I probably well, I probably won't go back to the beginning. But I don't think I was quite in the best state of health to read it. Um, it's just, I'm enjoying it, um, but n- perhaps not as much as I thought I would. It's very meandering, and there's there doesn't seem to be any plot. It's just people sort of wandering around. Um, Talking about theology, which is quite amusing, well, very amusing, in fact. But I think I, I think I want a bit more structure. I'm hoping a bit more structure comes in later in the book. Right, it's not grabbing you then at this point. Well, um, it's not not grabbing me. I think it's just uh, when I, yeah, the books I like most by her are these sorts of very arch looks at British society, where there is quite a detailed plot um, and lots of development and, and things happen. Whereas this. So far, it doesn't seem to be... It seems more like this group of amusing characters wandering around. But um, I'm definitely going to... I'm going to give it a chance. I'm, I'm just going to wait until I'm back completely in in full health, and then I'll give Rose another go. Good for you. I think when I've finished um, In Cold Blood, I think I've got about 100 pages left, so I'll try and blast through it. Um, I want to read... I've, myself, I thought I had The Towers of Trezebon, but I don't. I have another one whose name I can't remember, but it's the one in the World War Two. 
Oh, the world may wilderness. Yes, I've got that, so I'll give that a try. Yes, it's her in more serious mood, but it is good. Oh, right, serious. Okay. Um, one thing that I suspect, well, in fact, I know that in Cold Blood probably won't have, is a happy ending. Oh, <laughs> nice, Simon. Yes. And I, I always feel these segues get ruined by the fact that we need to highlight what good segues <laughs> they are, but people need to know. <laughs> We're so clever. <laughs> uh, and I feel like we need to clear it right away that yes, happy endings has another meaning and no, we're never going to be talking about that when we say happy ending. <laughs> it's not that sort of podcast, people. We are strictly I'm not sure that sort of podcast exists. <laughs> well, it probably does, actually. Or true. Or horses for courses, but yeah, exactly. people on this course are not that sort of horse. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you very much, Faith, who suggested this this topic for us. We love getting suggestions and faith are quite a few so um i'll keep yeah, going really for love suggestions because well you're good at coming up with things but i'm really not <laughs> um well you came up with the second half today didn't you did you one of us did. Oh, i did actually i did this yeah what a roll a roll of two so let's let's talk happy endings versus sad endings i think this is gonna be or someone asked me um today what i was going to pick and i realized that i just had no idea oh. from the outset um and then I was trying to think about it, because obviously I don't think either of us would say all books should have a happy ending, all books should have a sad ending. So I tried to think of it more in line of, um, have there been any books where I was disappointed by the ending because it was either happy when I wanted a sad ending or sad when I wanted a happy ending? Mm-hmm. <coughs> to me, a lot of editing of coughs out of this episode. <laughs> um, and I could, I could only really come up with one example of a book that had a happy ending that I didn't, that I thought was too happy, and that was Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, I can't remember if you've read. That was very nice pronunciation. Thank you there. very much. You have I practiced? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I mean, I had my book group on it, so I had to get it right. <laughs> I was just saying, I can't, just, I can't just point at the title and the cover every time I want to say her name. So I learned it. Uh, um, I can't remember if you've read that one or not. I haven't. No. Um. I oh, feel like I should have done though because you talk about it so often. I know, basically every podcast. I'm just so proud that I've read a modern book. I've read a modern book, everyone. <laughs> a long modern I've book. Mentioned it, Simon, I barely remember. <laughs> um, because I don't remember the conversations I had, I, I fully remembered you telling me that you'd read it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I realise this, this segment of the podcast may get quite spoilery, <laughs> but, um. Well, it kind of by its nature, yeah, it has to, doesn't it? So the end of Americana is sort of a fairy tale that's um two people get back together who've not been together for a long time. And I felt it, it jarred a bit with the rest of the novel. Oh. Um before I go into any more detail about Happy Ever Said, what what are your what was your instinctive response to it? Well, I have to say that I mean I'm that school of idealistic thought that says that novels should be uplifting. And so I really prefer to read books that make me feel really happy and sort of like life that have that feeling of life affirmation at the end um and I really don't like it when I read a book that makes me feel sad but then at the same time sometimes you read those books where you've kind of just really had that indulgent kind of cry face all the time and you really want that sad ending because actually you want to have that moment of catharsis at the end and like some, and you know, like you say, sometimes books have happy endings, and you think, well, I don't really think that this should have had a happy ending. So it kind of works both ways, I think. Like for example, 
the worst I've talked about this before the worst ending I've ever had where it was a sad ending that I felt was like unnecessary um, was Villette by Charlotte Bronte oh yes of course because I mean such sadness throughout the whole book and I just thought you know what just give the girl a break this is just it is impossible that this many bad things could happen to one person yes it's like a big slap around the face like a final slap around the face and I was a mess and I just thought, no, I've read this whole book with the hope that there will be some glimmer of joy for this woman. And there's none. It's like George Eliot. She just can't help herself. <laughs> yes, it's like, oh, just drown them all. <laughs> I know. And um, that kind of thing where it's just relentless. And then, oh, look, now we've got to the end and everybody's died. And, you know, that's life. <laughs> life's depressing. Bad stuff happens. That kind of thing, I just think, no. Whereas if you've read a book that's kind of, you know, stuff happens to people, some good stuff, some bad stuff, and then there's like a disappointment at the end. But you can still kind of be like, oh, you know, it's sad because they didn't get what they want, but you can still see that, you know, life will go on, etc. That kind of sad ending, I don't have a problem with. And that's, I mean, I wrote down Elizabeth Taylor, Barbara Pym. They they do, as we talked about last time, especially Elizabeth Taylor does that sort of sad ending, doesn't she? Hmm. Where it doesn't feel gratuitous, but it does, but it does feel um, appropriate if mournful. Yes. Would say sort of elegiac endings. Oh, one might say that. Yes, yeah. lovely. <laughs> um, I think generally, I feel it just has to match what's gone before. So if yeah. it seems unrealistically happy, like if, oh, let's bring everything together. I'm reminded, of course, of that line from *In Point of Being Earnest*, where what's her name, Anna Massey's character, <laughs> Miss Prism, says, um, "The good ended happily, and the bad unhappily." That is what fiction means, which often is the way that people um, sort of shoehorn ending on. At the same time, as you say, there's some novels where it was all just far too bleak at the end. You think that's just unnecessary. If this is going to be realistic, we don't want that. Um, but then I was thinking of some so-called happy endings that I think probably aren't as happy as they seem, like in almost every Jane Austen novel. Yeah. I don't, don't know if you agree with me here, or maybe even if we talked about this before, where... Um, I was thinking the end of Sense of Sensibility, the end of Emma, the end of Mansfield Park. There are all these very, I, get, I was going to say stereotypical. In some ways, they helped invent the stereotype, obviously, of um, ending with this big wedding of the of the heroine and the main man. And in in all of those, I think this isn't as unproblematic as as it seems. And, and Jane Austen knows that, <laughs> particularly with Mansfield Park. I think it's this sort of weird not with a bang but with a whimper sort of marriage at the end where she seems to be undercutting it in some way. No, don't even get me started on that book. Okay. <laughs> no, I want to now. <laughs> well, you know I hate Fanny and I can't even bear talking about it and, you know, that the whole book. I mean, I love that it's very well written, but no, nonsense. But yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, it all ends with wedding, but at the end of the day, we don't see beyond the wedding day. We can anticipate that it's not easy. And there's always characters that have have got issues going on. So, say, for example, you've still got the spectre of Lydia and Mr. Wickham, who are clearly always going to cause um, Elizabeth and Darcy problems throughout their married life and that sort of thing. You know, Elizabeth still got her annoying family to contend with. It doesn't make her life perfect. And that sort of thing, that realistic ending... I think, um, which where you can take what happiness from it you want, but you can also see the negatives. That's perfect for me. I don't like it when everything comes artificially together at the end. 
And it's like, oh, hey, and all of a sudden he found the treasure in the bottom <laughs> of his shelf and it, everything's fine. And then, oh, look, he went to pay the money into the bank and he met the love of his life. And everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, those sorts of things are ridiculous. And it, it is quite hard, I think, to think of a happy ending that isn't in some way conclusive. I, things have come yeah. together. I suppose that is the Aristotelian definition of a of a happy ending but um whereas a, as a miserable ending or an unhappy ending can be much more abrupt or obviously obviously everyone dies which is conclusive in its own way but there's lots more of just and they were left alone or and they didn't get what they were looking for or those yeah. sorts of things um indeed to get to get back to our recent episodes um in guide your daughters that's sort of a mix of the two but perhaps more unhappy than happy yeah. um and I was saying this when my friend Lloyd asked me earlier, I feel like unhappy endings, perhaps partly because of that, just feel more literary to me than a happy ending. A happy ending feels quite, um, you know, Mills and Booney. <laughs> and it just yeah, feels... It does. And yeah. I think an unhappy ending <coughs> asks more of it. <coughs> Sorry. Don't apologise, Simon. You're really hammering this man flu home. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling fine. It's I'm all afraid. fake, everyone. I'm going to cut all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I'll leave it in. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, you know, literary fiction, it's like, you know, people reading it, you're not expected to just be reading it for pleasure. And I think there is that sense that you should be able to handle the fact that life isn't perfect and you're able to handle more complex um themes and ideas and to understand that these characters are more sort of realistic in a way. And I think perhaps in lesser fiction i don't understanding it terribly sorry <laughs> um but you know where people are it's like a quick story where you know of the chiclet stuff like that you don't read a chiclet to get to the end and find out that the person has been cheated on by her husband and is never going to get married again you know you don't want that that's yeah. not the purpose of you buying a book whereas literary fiction i think you tend to be a bit more open to um things being a little bit more bleak and certainly it is more literary i think too to sort of finish with that kind of uncertainty as well where it's like well you know you can decide for yourself what's happened here and those endings that sort of leave things quite unresolved yeah i think i i mean it's always cheating to pick a third option but um i think and, and, I, don't, and I don't want to conclude this part of the yeah, <laughs> plenty more notes to use but um i feel like it is that third option of neither happy nor unhappy just maybe inconclusive just just yeah. like that's the end of the book but it's not the end of the characters lives always feels the most satisfying well well satisfying is probably not the right word but the most realistic it, it often is very satisfying to have you know the the fairy tale ending although these are more things i wrote down in fact about fairy tales they can take one or two turn two ways so fairy tales sometimes end very darkly and i was thinking of paul gallico's darker novels they often um feel quite fairy tale-esque but like a you know a grim brother's tale or something they don't have the happy ending they have the dark ending yeah um maybe that's part of it not being realistic is is it it can go in one of two ways if it's not a realistic ending it can either go very bleak or very happy <laughs> yeah i think it's a very black and white way of of looking at things because the reality is that life isn't like that and there will always be things that you can hold on to for hope and there will always be things that will be sort of negatives you know you can't it's not just everyone dies i mean this doesn't happen to people maybe it does happen to people. Yeah. <laughs> you know if it does i don't want to read about it yeah true <laughs> so have there been any books you can think of where you feel like the ending 
was inappropriate for the book. Um, you know, I was just thinking that one of the books I read recently, The Chateau by William Maxwell, um, had a really annoying ending in that, it was, I mean, I love his books. I think he's the be- one of the best writers in the world. Well, was one of the best writers in the world. <laughs> um, but he, the book was brilliant. It was all about this um, American couple on holiday in France um, after the First World War. Um, and it was great and, you know, this lovely journey, beautiful book. And then there was this random end, like postscript ending where he kind of projected into the future and wrapped up all the loose ends and explained why the, all the characters had behaved in particular ways. How bizarre. And, and yeah, and I was like, this is bizarre. And also, like, I don't want you to tell me because I have my own ideas about why they were behaving. And now I feel like you've just kind of, Basically, like it's like asking someone a question and then giving them the answer without giving them the chance to think about it, and it all felt very much like you know, it was just a not. It was sort of like, oh right, okay, we're. It, it made it feel very much like it was fiction, and it ruined the illusion, and I didn't like that at all. That is very strange, considering he's normally such a subtle writer. You wouldn't expect it. It's like a really unsubtle. Um, way to finish and I felt like it was very much it felt very much like an afterthought and it was just very odd and I wasn't I couldn't understand why he'd included it um, speaking of him reminds me of Sylvia Tandemore now his, his friend and uh, correspondent um, and her novel Lolly Willows that I think is a very unhappy ending that is almost universally considered to be a happy ending have we I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast before or not but um, she ends by selling her soul to the devil um, and in exchange gets to live in the countryside <laughs> so um, to, to me it seems quite clear when it ends with I can't remember the exact line but something like he has complete uncaring control or something and he's appeared as a, as a male figure in this, in this book um, it seems to me very much a sort of out of the frying pan into the fire escape from her overbearing brother to this most overbearing man, male figure imaginable. But uh, reading all this criticism about it, and even going to conferences where people have talked about it, it's sort of is this very sort of empowering, anti-patriarchal ending. And I, I've given papers on it where I've said she's no, she's she's given a, she's got out of some sort of temporary um, temporary restriction for an eternal restriction. And even if you people in the audience to believe that within the context of the novel, that's that's what's happened. Um, so it seems to me this sort of very, very sad, very desperate ending, but bizarrely has been thought of as this wonderful ending. So I guess it's a long way of saying that happy and unhappy can obviously be how the reader interprets the ending. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the ending of something like Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights, you know, look, some people might see what happens at the end as being terrible and others might see it as being wonderful. You know, Jane Eyre ends up with Mr. Rochester. He, you know, imprisoned his other wife in the attic. Brilliant example because it seems a terrible ending. <laughs> but, to but, me, I think yes. it's wonderfully romantic. But yeah, <laughs> so see why other people would read it and be like, "What? This is not." Yeah. The bigamist is blind. Oh, now he's a catch. <laughs> but, <laughs> now she's going to have to look after him forever, <laughs> and he can't get away, even though he'd really like to. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's best not to get me started on that <laughs> either. But, <laughs> so you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, some end, that, that's the thing. A lot of endings, I think, are, are open to interpretation and some people will, will read sadness where other people read happiness. But I think 
I think it's quite. I can't really think of any books I've read where, uh, apart from Follett, where I've got to the end and been like, "Well, you know, that's just too much." Like with a sad ending. And I think because I actually avo- actively avoid reading books that I know will be sad, I haven't really experienced that many of them. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just I'm just reading at the moment a book about Agatha Christie, which makes me think of the ending of detective novels, which seem to blur these things quite well because it's happy always because they tend to unveil who the murderer is but one can hardly call it a happy ending when you know someone's still dead and well i don't know emotions don't seem to really matter that much in the detective novel do they so you know that's the something that i've noticed because i've been reading quite a lot of those british crime things lately and i feel absolutely no emotional connection happening at all i just don't care that someone's died i'm just caught up in like the finding out about it and i think that's what's quite interesting about those detective novels i don't know i've never read any more modern ones i don't know if it's different these days but Oh, they, oh, yes. I, well, similarly, I've not read um, those sort of very gory crime yeah. novels that are around all the place now, which just seem to try and shock people as much as possible, where one assumes if they're shocking, then there has to be some sort of emotional response from the characters and the, and the reader. Yeah. But I remember when I was about 16 trying to write a detective novel myself with the, you know, the weight of human experience that I'd gained <laughs> at that time <laughs> and <laughs> decided to try and write in all of this people being desperately upset at their... So well, actually someone they barely knew in that case uh, being murdered and then sort of realised later that no detective novel that I have read people, people get over it immediately if, if someone in the next room with them is murdered they're just like oh I better you know prove that it wasn't me and then get on with my day <laughs> yeah exactly no one cares <laughs> so I suppose those are endings which are perhaps the most satisfactory endings because the whole detective novels are obviously all built towards the ending um, but not really happy or sad because it doesn't come into the equation Exactly. So, um, what would you what would you choose if you could only read one of these ever again? Happy ending settings. I think I know the answer. <laughs> Happy ending, definitely. Yes, I think um, if I had to pick between these, and obviously most literature is rather more nuanced than this, then I think it would be happy. I think better literature probably comes with the sad endings, but it would just be miserable to read sad endings all the time. Yeah. <laughs> he says in a scholarly way. Well, as it is, Simon. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Mm. Cool, right. Um, do you want to kick us off with your suggestion for the second half? Yes, I will. Um, so I think, well, I picked this because I thought that these, if you've read any Elizabeth von Armin, then um, Armin, Armin, or is that Ar- 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 I think. Arnim, thank you. <laughs> then you most probably would have read these two because they're the most I would imagine they're the most famous ones so the Enchanted April which has had the film made of it which is how some people come to it mm. um, very good film yeah, and, I loved it. yeah very nice film and Elizabeth and Elizabeth and her German garden which is probably the most famous Elizabeth von Arnim novel um, so Elizabeth in, and her German garden for those who don't um, quite heavily autobiographical um, and it's sort of about a woman in the early 19th century, possibly late 19th century. Um, I think 18, it was 18, 1898, I think it was published, 1898, maybe. Thank you. Um, I thought it was 1901 for some reason, but I've made that up. Um, and she lives in the countryside with her husband um, and her children and in a car, in sort of obviously a very large home. 
um, in Germany. And it's all about her. It's sort of a diary, but a stream of consciousness sort of situation about her life and her garden and her children and the tyranny of, of domesticity and um, her thoughts about everything. And it's just a really beautiful, um, really beautiful book about life, really, and about the little trivial things that seem on the surface to be unimportant, but actually they, they are what all of life is contained within, really. And I love her observations about um, sort of, I remember reading the phrase, like the tyranny of having to think about meals. And it's <laughs> yeah, like, you know, when you've got to cook dinner three Day and have, I mean, like she didn't have to cook dinner. But I was like, going to say, she didn't do any cooking. <laughs> think about what she wanted to order for the food and all these kind of things. And you just think, do you know what? I just don't want to have to think about this. Like, who cares what, about what we're going to have for lunch? Um, and it's like that these sorts of trivial, very minor things, but they weigh on you and how sometimes you just want to literally lie there all day and not do anything. <laughs> and those sorts of ideas. I just, I just find it a really relaxing and um, life-affirming book to read. Um, even though I know that she actually had a really rubbish relationship with her husband, um, I prefer to ignore that part when I read it. <laughs> um, and this event, uh, sorry, The Enchanted April is about a woman who is sort of coming to a some kind of crisis in her life. She's middle-aged and she decides that she just needs a break and she's going to go on holiday. And she sees this advert in the newspaper to rent a castle in Italy and she decides to answer the advert and she gets there with this assortment of other people who uh, who are all kind of for their own reasons are having some sort of crisis. And they come together and by being together they manage to work through their problems and they learn how to love again and to trust <laughs> again and it's just beautiful. Beautifully summarised. There's yes. lots of surroundings too. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Um, I think The Enchanted April was the first Elizabeth von Arnhem book I read and that was quite a long time ago so I'm going to do my best to remember <laughs> what happened <laughs> in it um, but I had, I had the perhaps unusual experience of having read quite a lot of her other books before I read Elizabeth in a German Garden which oh. I read um, late last year for the first time oh really? I did yeah so I've, I must have read seven or eight of her other books by then um, and loved many of them or most of them. Um, and I think I just built it up, Elizabeth and her German garden up too much in my mind because, of, as you say, it's her most famous one. During her lifetime, everything she wrote was published by, uh, written by the author of Elizabeth and her German garden. Um, it gets mentioned in The Differential Lady. It gets mentioned all over the place. And I'd, I'd built it up to be this, I don't know, this, this favourite before I'd even opened it. And I think that made me slightly disappointed in it. I think I was just a bit underwhelmed by it, maybe. Um, I still enjoyed it a lot, but the books I like best of hers, my favourite is Christopher and Columbus, and I love, um, I do love The Enchanted April, but often I love the ones where she's being a little, I guess, spikier, the caravan is very, very funny, very satirical, and quite cynical, um, and that's the voice that she uses I like best, and though Elizabeth and the German Garden is suddenly funny, and has a few barbs at that, that woman who comes to visit who is quite unpleasant. Um, I think maybe it's just maybe a bit too saccharine for me. Okay. Um, have I shocked you into silence? Yeah. I'm surprised. I would have thought you loved it. Oh, Rachel, I feel like I've kicked a puppy. <laughs> I think if I'd read it, the first book, of, if it was the first book of hers I'd read, or if I'd read it without any prior expectations, 
I would have just un- unashamedly, unabashedly loved it. But I just, it become this behemoth and, of, <laughs> of early, well, just before the 20th century literature that I was like, I'm definitely going to love this. It's going to be the best book I've ever read. <laughs> and then I actually read it. I don't think any book could have lived up to the expectations I had of it. <laughs> no, well, that's a shame, really. I think, yeah, probably if you had read it first. I mean, it's, you know, it's not ground shaking in any way. Um, I think that's the problem sometimes when people big things up too much and actually I think I slightly prefer Elizabeth and her German garden I think the solitary summer is actually better I think you might enjoy that more which is the sequel for those who don't know yeah don't tell me I'll enjoy it more tell me I'll find it mediocre and then I'll really love it (laughs) I might enjoy it Simon I might pass the time (laughs) there are worse ways to spend the night I think what what I find that unites these two books and what makes them probably more um, accessible than her other novels that aren't as widely reprinted um, is the fact that they're quite domestic focused and they're quite focused on the interior of women's emotions. Mm. And even though, you know, she's Elizabeth von Arnim wrote about the experiences of women who were quite wealthy and um, didn't necessarily have the problems that we would have today, like, you know, juggling work, juggling family, that kind of thing. Um, she manages to make those women's experiences universal by thinking about, you know, what is it to be me? What's going to make me happy? You know, what about my relationship, relationships with friends, with family? What about how do I feel about my own ambitions? How do I feel about the world around me? Where do I take pleasure from? You know, how important is it to have a vocation or you know can I just take pleasure in the small things and I think also what's really lovely about the Enchanted April is that it talks about the importance of of being able to change and how it's never too late to change who you are or the life that you live and I find that really inspiring because all the characters in in the novel are sort of middle-aged apart from there's one younger woman but that most of them are sort of 30s 40s 50s and even though they've been living the same lives for a long time, they're unhappy with those lives. They, by having this summer, like this sort of month at this castle, they've been inspired to change and they do change and their lives become better because of it. And I think that's a really encouraging message for people to read about. Yeah, I think talking of happy endings and fairy tales, The Enchanted April is a really lovely fairy tale in, <laughs> in that it probably wouldn't have happened like that if you put a bunch of people together <laughs> in even in even in the most beautiful place in the world um but um i i i mean i'm this i am a sucker for that sort of thing as well I, I enjoy how just the serenity of the environment and um the goodwill of some of them is to overcome those who are more i mean you know how, how i'm carefully avoiding names because i don't remember any of them but uh, <laughs> Um, oh yeah, Mrs. Fisher, isn't it? The, um, yes. Yes. Um, the way she changes probably wouldn't have happened, but it's lovely to read about. Yeah. Um, and I think in both novels she um, writes friendships, probably not quite the right word, but relationship between between women who are friends or acquaintances really well. I think the yeah. way that she writes, the way that these women interact with each other, whether it is more barbed or um, sort of slyly sniping at each other, but with a polite veneer, or whether it's encouraging one another, or whether it's helping each other. Um, later in the book, she does it all in, in um, ways that I—I I mean, obviously, I'm not a woman, but I found very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah, it's it's nice to have a book like in both of them, romance appears, but isn't the focus. I don't think it's more just about people interacting with one another, friendships developing, and it's nice to read books like that because you don't get that many books about friendship compared to romance. I agree, and I think also what's quite different about them is that it's not about women trying to find husbands, it's not about that kind of thing, it's about a woman's relationship with herself as well, and mm, about mm. Um, your, the internal life, and, and about finding fulfilment uh, in, in, the, in your sort of inner fulfilment and happiness in fulfilling what you, what your your own personal desires are separate from anybody else and I think actually for the time that she was writing that was quite a radical thing to be writing about because women were expected to find their happiness in family and home and actually to have these kind of desires and um, passions for things was something that wasn't really talked about and I think probably that's why she made such a big splash really yeah that's fair Especially, yes, especially at the time where it was just most often the traditional marriage plot. Um, another thing I think you already mentioned about In Charge April is the way that she writes setting is so beautiful in that. Um, I did, I've talked about it before, I don't often respond to descriptions of place, but I did <laughs> with In Charge April. Um, and I don't know anything about flowers, I don't know anything about the plants that she <laughs> described, but somehow it's <laughs> still. It does seem such an, such, I mean, it does seem like a really beautiful place to visit, and it was one of those few times that I just wanted to jump into a novel and be there, although perhaps dial down the temperature a few degrees, it seemed too hot. But, <laughs> I'm loving it. I still, <laughs> it was I, April. The first time I read it, and I read it in the winter, because I think I didn't, it was one of those things where I bought it, I'm like, I'm definitely going to read it in April, um, <laughs> and then I didn't. And I think I read it in the winter, and it was just, I, it was so long to be there, I could just imagine it in my mind, that beautiful, that like, sun-kissed terraces, and the wisteria growing up the walls, and oh, yeah. smells of, of sort of lemons on the air, and you just think, oh, I want to be in Italy. And it is a wonderfully atmospheric book in that sense and Elizabeth and her German garden again the descriptions of the countryside in Germany of the beautiful flowers in her garden you really can imagine all of it and you know I am no um, nature knowledgeable person with a <laughs> you don't even know the word <laughs> I can't even you know express horticulturist Who's that really yes, I'm no horticulturist I'm no um, <laughs> I'm, I'm no lover well I'm no love all that sort of thing, but having grown up in the London suburbs, I didn't see many flowers growing up, <laughs> so, um, or, or different species of tree, so I'm not really very good at that sort of thing. Well, I, I can say, having grown up in the countryside, I saw them, I just have no idea what they're called. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, because I always think every friend I've got who's grown up in the country, I'm always like, what's this flower called? And when they say, I don't know, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You're <laughs> countryside. <laughs> people yeah. are supposed to know this stuff like you're supposed to know outdoor things <laughs> we're just at one with nature yeah we don't, we don't know what things are called we like, just you no, know commune you, with it <laughs> no i mean it's just not right you need to know every species of bird in my mind <laughs> every species of tree and flower and also be able to know when plants come into season and when to plant things that's the knowledge i expect of people brought up in the <laughs> I'm sorry to have let you down. Is, I'm going to blame the, f the first seven years of my life in a Merseyside town. That's what did it. It quashed all of that in me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, Yes, I did. I, did you... Sorry, this is a complete change of tack. But um, did you read The Enchanted August? No. 
Um, this is going to be a short conversation because neither did I, but maybe with someone who's listening did and could write about it. Um, it was out last year and I can't remember who wrote it, but it was basically an updating of it, I think. No. I know. I'm going to Amazon right now. I don't <laughs> you. I've never heard of this. Um, so someone reviewed it for Shiny New Books and I read the review and I think um, they enjoyed it. But, um, but I can't remember who wrote it. It's alright. I'm frantically... What does Amazon say? <laughs> Enchanted August. <laughs> Did you think I was lying until this yeah, very moment? Is <laughs> called Brenda Bowen? Does that ring a bell? Oh, it does ring a vague bell, because I think she tried to step out Elizabeth Warren in society, perhaps. What does the description say? Blah, blah. Yes, this is a light and charming modern rewrite of Von Arnim's Enchanted April, now moved to a tiny island off the main coast in the US. Oh, no. I don't know how I feel <laughs> about that. I mean, I know exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it appears to be a um, light fiction piece. <laughs> As opposed to the searing <laughs> warts and all realism of the original. <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll withhold judgment on that for now. <laughs> it's very um, American. I've just read the first page on Look Inside. Oh, right. There we go. Is very American good or bad? Right. <laughs> um, well, it doesn't sit right with me as a sequel to The Enchanted April for it to be American. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have... I mean to cast any aspersions. <laughs> um, I, have, I do have issues with people writing sequels to other authors' books in mm. general, with some notable exceptions, but in general, I have issue with it. Um that's a whole other, you know what, that could That's be a, another topic. I'll write it down, I'll write it down somewhere. Yeah, I'll Sequels. <laughs> I've just written on a post-it that I will immediately lose, but you know, someone <laughs> someone listening to this can remind us of it later. <laughs> Do our jobs for us, people. Um, <laughs> to go back to the time of April, and I realise that I am focusing considerably more on that, considering I read it about ten years before I read <laughs> Elizabeth in <laughs> the German Garden. Um, but I think one of the reasons I love it is that I love any book that brings people together by coincidence. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, like, um, what was that one? Patricia, Patricia Brent Spinster that people were reading a while ago by Herbert Jenkins, where she, um, to get out of an awkward conversation, basically persuades a man to pretend to be engaged to her, as you do. So, um, <laughs> the sort of silly coincidence that wouldn't happen, propelling a plot, I, I love it. I love it. If, like, an invitation saying, come and spend an enchanted April in Italy. I mean, obviously no one would respond to that advert. Everyone would just think they're insane. But in this book, <laughs> you get this wonderful group of people who come to share in that opportunity. And I, I just, anything that, that's why I love And Then the One, it's one of the reasons I love And Then the One None as well. Just a sort of silly premise to a book that ends up propelling unlikely people together. Love it. Yeah. No, that was a very good, good TV series. Very good, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was very annoyed because I just kept shouting at it, being like, what? Do you all keep going to separate rooms? Like I don't, <laughs> don't separate. <laughs> it's like in that episode of The Simpsons. I think it's Simpsons where he says, "I'll go to the abandoned fairground. You go to the." It's <laughs> <laughs> like no, stay together. For goodness' sake! I just for a walk on the cliff. It's like <laughs> we all know what's going to happen. I found this cup of coffee unattended. I thought I'd drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, we've taken a turn away from Elizabeth, haven't we? Yes, <laughs> um, but yes, um, what did you say about it? No, I think, no, I agree with you. I think it's 
that's the lovely thing about it as well is that you get an insight into people from lots of different backgrounds with lots of different life experiences and people that the characters would never have ordinarily met so it takes it's just two of them in the same club aren't they and still don't know each other until they get meet there yeah and I think that's what's really nice about it is that you get you wouldn't normally in a novel find people from so many different backgrounds so it's something that can appeal to lots of people people can read it and be like oh I'm like her or I'm like her um and I think that's what works about it as well. And it's also watching them go from being quite hostile towards each other to growing to care about each other, which is really sweet mm, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Are these your um, favourite Elizabeth von Allen books? Um, yeah, I would say so. I think I've picked badly from her other ones because, I mean, I think you, you will admit that some are, uh, are not as well written as others. Um, yeah, I've not come across many that I, well, I haven't come that I didn't like at all but um, there is some variety there certainly yeah. <laughs> although I love Father and Introduction to Sally which are two that no one reads but <laughs> Virago never reprinted them no I haven't but, read those I mean I've read The Caravanners which I thought was very funny love that one yeah um, and I feel like I've read another one as well but I can't remember what it is you read Mr Skeffington haven't you I don't know if I have. You gave me your copy. Thank you very much. But... Welcome. I think. Oh no, I have read it, and then I gave it to you because I thought I didn't love it, and I knew that you would appreciate it more than me. Um, and I've read sort of Elizabeth and her German Garden, Solitary Summer, Enchanted April. I've got loads on my shelf. I sort of I did that thing that we both do, but by obsessively <laughs> buying someone and then never reading any of them. For sure, um, yeah. Vera <laughs> to read. As well. oh, that one's apparently very dark, isn't it? Yeah, I remember Darlene writing about it and saying it was really quite intense. So I've, I think I, I really want to read it because it sounds like it's really well written, but at the same time, I feel like it's a one for a particular mood. Yeah, I think yes. <laughs> I can't, I can't work out quite what mood. Do, no. you want to be very, do you want to be very cheerful so you can cope it, or do you want to be very miserable so you can <laughs> <laughs> um, cope with it that way? I don't know. <laughs> a bit of a tricky one, but um, I think. I think she's kind of known from reading other books of hers that aren't of the same, perhaps more light-hearted theme of of the two that we're discussing. There is a real theme of kind of darkness with relationships and men's treatment of women, which is quite interesting. And it's definitely there below the surface in... um... Elizabeth in a German garden, I think it's. Yes. It doesn't. Is it in that that she calls him the Man of Fury? I can't yes, remember. Yes, he's yeah. the Man of Fury, and and she treats it all as a bit of a joke. But at the same time, you're like, well, yeah. this guy doesn't seem like the nicest of husbands, and there is that, that sense that she feels quite isolated. And yes, it's, it's this garden's really interesting though because it is this paradise for her, but you get you do get a quite claustrophobic sense. That, yeah. You know she step beyond that garden even into the house and um and things won't go so well yeah which is a great theme of father as well um which is basically about this this woman trying to escape her domineering father um and, and she longs for this garden and a house of her own etc there's this running theme throughout of domestic space be it house or garden can either be a prison or a freedom that comes up time and again yeah and i think that idea that you know women's lives are are really restricted as well and you know mm. that garden's great but it's it's a garden that's all she has to herself is that garden you know which is an enclosed space by its very nature yeah. um, and that's something that 
is really interesting to think about because she can't really, that's her domain and she doesn't have a life outside of it. Absolutely, yeah. And if you think about it from that perspective, maybe it's not such a great book after all. <laughs> maybe it's terrible, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I said at the beginning, my favourite of hers is Christopher and Columbus, which is, it's got twins in it. I love a book about twins. They open up a, ref- they, a cafe or they wait just for somewhere. I love books where people open up cafes. So basically it's a who's who of things I want in a book. But um, <laughs> it's 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 more fey, I guess, if, um, even well, it's more quirky, I guess. It's so it's it's quite funny, but it's, it's um, yeah, it's just a bit weirder, perhaps, in the books we're talking about now. And I like it when she's a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've not come, I've not read any of her books that I didn't like at all. Although I've not read Vera yet, so I, well, I hear it's brilliant, but yes, I need to wait till time when I can stomach it as well. Though I will be revisiting the Enchanted April in April when my book group is reading it. Oh, maybe I shall as well. That would be nice. (laughs) So, if you had to choose between these, and indeed you do, for that is the podcast you are on, (laughs) which one are you going to pick? I think The Enchanted April. Um, As as am I. Mm. So there you go, we've picked Happy Endings and The Enchanted April. It's a very positive, sunny episode today. Yes. (laughs) Despite us both feeling under the weather. (laughs) How sad. Yes. But we shall have a happy ending to the podcast. Um, I don't know why or what. Because we're excited about the next one. There we go. Just Lovely. Um, we've got some great suggestions from Faith, and thank you for a couple of other people who emailed me. Um, so we'll pick something from that for next time. But as always, if you have suggestions, you can email them in simonthomasoxford at gmail.com, or you can go to either our blog, Stuck in a Book, or Book Snob, and put comments there. Uh, we love hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and we will be back next time with who knows what. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.